Hey, you're listening to Mix Front Page with Peter Movilla. Hey, welcome to Mix Front Page. Today we'll be discussing the JMIG perspective piece entitled Understanding the Scope of the Problem, Why Laparoscopy is Considered Safe During the COVID-19 Pandemic. We are fortunate to have with us Dr. Stephanie Morris, an AAGL 2020 Board of Director member, as well as gynecologic surgeon at Newton Wellesley Hospital in Newton, Massachusetts. Um, Dr. Stephanie Morris happens to be my program director at Newton Wellesley Hospital, where I'm doing my fellowship right now, and I'm honored to discuss her paper recently published in JMIG, um, discussing laparoscopy during this time period of the pandemic for COVID-19. Just want to jump right into it and ask, what was your motivation for writing this piece? So the motivation for writing this piece was we actually started hearing a lot about people changing their surgical practices based on the covid pandemic. Um, and there did not seem to be a lot of information out there. And we wanted to make sure that people were making decisions based on accurate information. And so it actually started with, with AGL working to um, write a, a statement um, about operating during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I worked on that statement and that um, provided a, a little bit of information, but didn't go into as much depth. And so we decided to write something for JMEG that had a little bit more detail, a little bit more depth, um, again, to give people information to make sure that if they were making decisions, that hopefully they were based on the best available evidence, which is limited to be sure, but at least they had the, the information that was out there and hopefully accurate information. Can you give an example of some of the surgical practice changes that you heard about during the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, from talking to program directors from around the country for the MIGS fellowship, there were there were people who were saying that at their institution, all of a sudden, all laparoscopy was banned. Um, and every surgery was being, being done through laparotomy. So again, that just seems like a really extreme position based on the limited data. In your opinion, what do you think drove the concern for the possible viral transmission of COVID-19 at the time of laparoscopy through the surgical fumes, when it's thought to be mostly an upper respiratory illness. And on the opposite spectrum, we operate not too infrequently or you know, sometimes on patients with uh, hepatitis, viral diseases, or HIV, and this topic hasn't been um, that much of a concern in terms of the fact that they still get laparoscopy. Right. So that's an excellent question. And that is what I was wondering also. And I also realized that I actually did not know that much about operating on patients with HIV or hepatitis with laparoscopy. Like why, why were we not concerned about that? But we're now concerned about this. So that was actually part of um, what drove me to try to learn more about this because I had the exact same reaction. And what I've discovered um, is that because this pandemic is, is, kind of changing everyone's lives, the way we practice, um, because there's so much unknown about it. I think this was driven a lot by by fear and the unknown. And um, it was actually first raised in a statement, became actually popularized by it, or the concept got popularized by a statement that Sages put out in the middle of uh, March and kind of just took off from there. And again, that's part of the reason why we decided to, to put this out there is because um, we want to give information to people about other um, bloodborne viral pathogens, which seem like they would be more of a risk than a respiratory pathogen um, from a surgical laparoscopy perspective. So um, I had the exact same question, which is why why I want to learn more about this. From your research, you know, it kind of seems that, it's that right now, in terms of the field of minimally invasive gynecologic surgery, you're kind of an expert on viral transmission. <laughs> uh, That's crazy in itself. <laughs> Uh, what evidence did you find in terms of the risk of possible transmission of COVID-19 at time of laparoscopy? 
there is general consensus that the, the biggest risk is during intubation and extubation, that we know that intubation and extubation are aerosol generating procedures and that whether someone has, um, you know, respiratory illness and, and, and diagnosed COVID-19 or whether they're a, they're a potential risk um, or even potentially an asymptomatic carrier, that the highest risk is during intubation and extubation because, again, those are known to be aerosol generating procedures. Um, we don't know that much specifically about COVID-19 um, and whether uh, COVID-19 RNA um, can be detected in the surgical plume um, from studies looking at other viral diseases. So things that are bloodborne like HIV um, and hepatitis, those viral RNA can be detected in the surgical plume, although it's not known if that's actually infectious virus. So there's a big difference between DNA or RNA being being identified and actually a virus being infectious. But we know from decades and decades of, of people operating on patients with HIV and hepatitis B and C, that transmission um, has not been shown to be increased using laparoscopy. And in fact, many people advocate using laparoscopy in, in patients with bloodborne viral illnesses because it decreases the risk of, 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 of exposure um, through kind of needle sticks and, and and blood transmission. So there's no data that suggests that that aerosolization through the surgical plume and specifically through laparoscopy increases that risk with bloodborne viral illnesses, which you would think would put you at higher risk than respiratory illnesses. And from looking at prior respiratory illnesses like influenza or the SARS epidemic and the MERS epidemic, there's no evidence in either of those or any of those, all three of those, that there's any increased risk of transmission through the surgical plume or through laparoscopy specifically. You know, for those who are still concerned about the possible risks, what are some safety precautions they could take during any gynecologic surgery that might come up during this pandemic time period, such as emergent surgeries, topics, or ovarian torsions? Absolutely. And I think given that there are unknowns about this, I think the it makes sense to be as um, as cautious as possible. Um, and so I think first, we are lucky that in the operating room, we generally wear pretty good personal protective equipment in general. So the only thing that's kind of missing from what we typically wear in the operating room is an N95 mask. And I think, um, so from a, from a PPE perspective, Again, it's so variable in different regions, in different hospitals, institutions, what, what PPE is available. Um, I think, you know, to be on the most cautious side, if all surgical staff during a laparoscopy wore an N95 mask, that would only kind of increase the safety um, of the surgical staff. However, again, having said that, that's not available to everyone, and it's not necessarily recommended, or I should say it's not required that that is done. Again, I think if the resources are available, that probably makes sense because it may increase the safety. Um, but again, I think we have to understand that that that's not um, always um, something that's that's um, possible for for everyone. And then I think the other things that we have to consider are things again that we should be considering in general. And maybe this is actually heightening some awareness of just um, being safer about the surgical plume and exposure to to those to those um, to that smoke. And so things like um, using smoke evacuation devices, especially kind of um, active smoke evacuation with a filter, um, it makes sense. Decreasing the release of pneumoperitoneum into the, the surgical environment. Um, so whether that's making sure that you actively desufflate the abdomen if you are at the end of the case, but also during specimen removal to prevent kind of all that pneumoperitoneum from <laughs> squirting out in your face, which it often does, Peter, <laughs> when we remove tissue 
vaginally. So, so I think we need to be cautious about that and, and careful about that. Um, there's also a lot of, uh, I, I also learned a lot about uh, smoke filtration during, during my research um, into this subject. And there's a lot of variations in how people uh, evacuate and filter um, their, their pneumoperitoneum and their, their uh, surgical plume. Um, and so a higher, um, or I should say a filter that, that um, filters smaller particles is likely safer. So kind of, you know, part of, uh, filters that, that um, filter particles that are 0.1 microns are, are, um, are OPAs and those ones kind of filter kind of the best, but also HEPA filters filter um, small particles as well. So I think if you can use a filtration system that has a better ability to filter, that probably is better, but again, not necessarily um, available to everyone. Mm. So I think we have to be realistic about what people can have access to during this time as well. Well, that was fantastic advice. And just to summarize what you wrote in your paper, some of the techniques to minimize potential risk of airborne viral particles you listed, number one, perform laparoscopy with lower intra-abdominal CO2 pressures. Number two, minimize the use of energy, which will limit the production of surgical plume. Number three, use a smoke evacuation system that allows for controlled release and filtration of the surgical plume. And number four, avoid sudden release of the pneumoperitoneum. So any final thoughts regarding the topic of uh, COVID-19 as it relates to minimally invasive gynecologic surgery or any thoughts of when will we operate again <laughs> for some of our elective cases? I hope we operate soon, but I, but I don't think that we're going to be operating anytime in the very near future except for emergent surgery. But I think what I've, what I've taken from all of this, which I think we've We've learned um, kind of many times as different um, issues have come up with with laparoscopy or mode of surgery is that I think whenever you make a decision or whenever we make these broad decisions based about um, uh, mode of surgery and whether laparoscopy or laparotomy is better or worse, that it's very hard to make black and white decisions. Like it's very rarely the case where laparoscopy is always better and laparotomy is always worse. And I think as usual, um, you know, there are certain situations where where one make you know may make more sense than the other. I think what we need to be really careful about is making thoughtful and well informed decisions based on the best available data that we have. Understanding that our data may not be the complete story, but it's what we have. And I get concerned when we make very rash decisions that make very large statements that are not necessarily based on um, on good data, and actually can ultimately have more harm um, than than good. And so I think we just need to be really thoughtful when we make decisions and understand that the impact of decisions that we make um, oftentimes are much more widespread than we may initially think. That, that was an amazing final thought for sure. Well, I'm glad <laughs> you're on the executive committee at AGL and you're so thoughtful. Uh -huh. And it's just been a privilege uh, to talk to you on this topic. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been a privilege talking to you too. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to our podcast. We look forward to seeing you next month.